I'm Laura Harper-Lake. And I'm Sarah Reitzman, and you're you're listening listening to Creative Guts. Listeners, thank you for tuning in to this episode of Creative Guts. On today's episode, we're talking with Amber Nicole Cannon, a biomedical artist whose aim is to reach students of all ages with scientific programming in a non-stressful way through art. With that, let's jump right into this episode of Creative Guts with Amber Nicole Cannon. Amber Nicole, thank you for being on the Creative Guts podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm excited and nervous, but excited. <laughs> and just because this is an audio medium, I have to tell everyone you're wearing orange. Yes. And you look awesome. Thanks. I absolutely <laughs> love your outfit. You've got a uh, apron on that says yes. Unchartered. Yes. And everything is just orange and I love it. It's just, it's awesome. It's my, one of my favorite colors. Is so, it? Yeah. Oh, it's a good one, especially in the fall. Yeah. You just, it's, it, you need the warmth. Yes. Oh yes. yeah. For our listeners that know nothing about you, and we also don't know that much about you, we're really interested to know all that you do. So can you introduce yourself and all the avenues in which you are a creative and work as a creative? Yeah. So um, I'm a biomedical artist. That would be like the best definition to put me in quick term. I have a degree in biomedical art from the Cleveland Institute of Art that teamed with Case Western Reserve University for all of its science courses. So it's a pretty highfalutin med school. Um, So my science is really strong and Cleveland Institute of Art is usually in the top five art schools in Mm. North America. So it's a really strong art and science education. I worked in pharmaceuticals for a number of years, doing informed consent documents, patient and physician education, recruitment for clinical trials, as well as marketing for the clinical research organization I was working for. They focused on radiopharmaceuticals. So I also got introduced to a lot of medical imaging in that capacity. And then I went on to work in what I will call... Uh, well, I, I did aseptic manufacturing for a little bit, continuing clinical trials, but then like um, medical fashion, <laughs> for a lack of a better, plastic surgery, doing websites and marketing for physicians in, in that capacity. And I suffered from a real, uh, just a shallow valley, if you will, career-wise at, at one particular point. And I started just taking random jobs, like, and one of them, was tutoring a young man who was very gifted in science, but wanted to round himself out for college Mm. um, in arts. So since I spoke his language coming from the science world, it was a fairly easy thing for me to do. Turned out his mom was the headmaster at a school, and she had me teach after-school programming. Within two weeks, I was in Polaris Charter School, and within six months, I was in all the Title I schools in Manchester. I was also working with Housing and Urban Development in Lowell through Peabody Properties, Mm -hmm. as well as Fun in the Sun and Parks and Recreation Departments, several cities, like all the way out to Dover, all the way up to Franklin, New Hampshire, Mm. teaching kids science using art. I now have, um, I guess I'm at nine employees who go around the state doing this, and um, they're all artists or scientists. Some of them are like full-time mechanical engineers who just take one day a week where they leave their jobs early and go teach in the schools with me or for me. And I also do murals with um, Yasmin Safrazada. Uh, you got to talk to her students, well, right, at... Um, at Kimball Jenkins. Yes. Yes. You got to talk to Yaz's students at Kimball Jenkins. Yes. Um, I got to work with those students as well um, in helping interview them, because now I'm I'm not just an artist. I have a company with employees um, who I'm hoping they go on to do their creative wishes and dreams. Mm. Um So I'm also trying to foster that. So I do a lot of interviewing of people, hiring of people. I do taxes. I'm also a member on the Highway Commission for Manchester because I'm a disabled artist and I advocate for better sidewalks and more bicycle lanes. Mm. Cool. As we were talking about large snowfall, when there's large snowfall um, and and sidewalks are deprioritized in the snow clearing everywhere, um, people in wheelchairs or who are getting around the world a little differently they're using the bike lanes in Manchester. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it, I am advocating for more bike lanes because those get cleared right. and the sidewalks don't. Wow. Right. Um, oh, so, that's critical. So I see people in, in wheelchairs on them on the regular. I walk down them on the regular mm-hmm. when I, you know, in the snow and the ice. What else? What else do I do? Oh, I'm an adjunct this semester at Southern New Hampshire University, previously an adjunct at New Hampshire Institute of Art. Oh, cool. Um, 
I've also previously taught at uh, Manchester Community College and New England College after it became, or what it was before, after NHIA and that merger Mm -hmm. buying, whatever happened. My gosh, a lot. That's a lot of stuff. (laughs) Oh, and I'm on the Manchester City Library Foundation. We just raise money for the library. Oh, cool. Because I'm all about free access to information and education. Oh, absolutely. That's great. Will you tell our listeners um, and us (laughs) what what exactly is a biomedical artist? Like, how would you sort of lay that out? So a biomedical artist, I like to sum it up as they take ideas, usually from idea originators, and translate it into something everyone else can understand, usually involving a visual component. Mm-hmm. The really less techie answer, go open a science book. There's a drawing in it. Someone had to make it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so or you know the uh, animations for discovery channel Mm -hmm. or the mermaids false documentary thing what do you mockumentary right like someone animated all of that or if you're taking those paleontology discoveries someone is drawing what they think that dinosaur looks like based on current animals and drawing where the muscle attachments are to make them the shape they are like they they recently not really that recently like 10 years ago you know, the Tyrannosaurus Rex probably didn't walk around up like this, but really was way down mm. in a more horizontal orientation because that head was super heavy mm-hmm. and that would give it greater range for attacking and reaching. So th- there's all kinds of things that we learn as so my, scientific my toy from seventh grade was wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> as are a lot of movies. I would have. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so let's take a step back. What inspired you to go into this field initially? Like, why did you pick that as your major? Uh, good question. It's a rare one. There's only about 20 of us that graduate in North America a year. Um, Whoa. Yeah, it's really unusual combination. Wow. So I thought I'd have to choose between med school and art school. And in high school, I had a private art teacher who saw what I was drawing. It was like glass bottles and mirror boxes and like, oh, and it yeah. was just super accurate. I was really focused on reflections and refractions. Mm. And she was like, how are you at dissecting frogs? And I was like, well, some of the jocks offered to pay me to do theirs. (laughs) (laughs) Like, does that answer it for you? Um, Really not a problem. Frog eyeballs bounce, by the way. Um, (laughs) So um, she was like, there's this career that if you can handle the guts... Hey, <laughs> <laughs> you do all right in. And I did. I really don't have any problem with any of the blood or guts. I've been in cadaver labs and surgeries and ooh, veterinarian surgeries. Uh, they get they let you get a lot closer in vet, oh, vet yeah. surgery. Sometimes yeah. they let you touch things. Um, oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's fascinating. So then you go into that career after school and eventually you know you talked about kind of plateauing at at a certain point as far as career rise and then you sort of like fell into teaching um like a a gradual sort of first i want to clarify that it's definitely a valley and not a plateau like we need to be really clear (laughs) that there are ups and downs to all careers oh absolutely um and sometimes you just find yourself in a real downer in a mud hole you know and that happens um it's not always like shooting in the stars Mm -hmm. gliding over mountaintops um definitely not that all the time um so sorry (laughs) i was so focused on wanting to make sure that everyone knows that it's not always high flying that i didn't answer your question could you say it again (laughs) so as far as moving into teaching yes was that your initial plan at that point to like this is what I'm going to pursue or did you sort of fall into it in a certain sense and then you navigated it and realized this is a really uh, needed thing that you also enjoyed definitely fell into um, maybe even like kicking and screaming because (laughs) I assisted in classrooms I worked as a para in college I taught for a different after school provider in Cleveland like when I was in college I was the TA in the biology class beating out all the pre-med students like teaching, I'd always been teaching. um, But I saw how the the industry and the way we've set up teaching abuses teachers. And I knew that wasn't something I wanted for myself. And that I would probably self sabotage very quickly in that environment. Yeah. Um, 
the way we have set up education is not, one, conducive to creating the kinds of workers that the country needs right now. It abuses teachers to no end, and it eats funds in a non-productive manner. So I am all about de-siloing education, tracking different endpoints. I'm not really a huge proponent of testing. I understand that it's the only way we can figure out whether teachers are teaching what they're supposed to be teaching, but I think it's at the um, detriment of the student. Like we don't track happiness or lifelong achievements for students and happiness. Or emotional levels, really. Absolutely. And we're burning through teachers. And they are some of the most caring, giving people on the planet. And it, it messes with my head to think that that's that's what we're doing to the teachers. Yeah. So I always knew I wouldn't be able to enter a traditional teaching environment. Um, I'm not a, a rebel rouser like you might think, but I <laughs> would subvert the system and probably self-destruct. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I find that personally very relatable. I felt similarly. There was a, a time where I was going to go the, the PhD academia route, and then I went and got my master's, and I was like, no, I'm not. I'm absolutely not. Mm-hmm. I don't think that I have the right personality type to fit into that particular role. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I It would frustrate me to no end the daily ins and outs of what teachers go through. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. So I made a company and I teach after school. So I'm not subjected to any of the testing. I, I It would be nice, but I don't receive IEPs. So I'm just meeting the kid face to face, one on one, and just trying to give them joy of learning and science rather than focusing on specific tidbits that they have to regurgitate on a test at a later date. Mm-hmm. What I'm trying to do is teach them questioning, teach them asking, teach them joy at learning, fun, excitement, getting messy, smells, sensory stuff. It's so much more than regurgitating on a Scantron. Right. Which is great. And that's just the entire realm of creativity. You know, that's just the way that you can, art is like such a wonderful mechanism for bringing that kind of joy in. So can you walk us through some examples of how you pair art and science together? Yeah. Uh, one of my most popular, most fun series, I would say, is Zombies. Uh-huh. All right. <laughs> I want to take it. This sounds awesome. So this class, I was one of my earliest ones I ever wrote. The class combines anatomy and creating physical representations of that anatomy. Uh, it's rarely that they actively draw it. Mm-hmm. Instead, we're doing 3D building of zombie body parts. Uh, whether it be a brain that you can physically wear on your head, a mask where we write all the names of the bones on the inside, so you press it up against your face Mm. and it's a a skull, and then they can decorate it however they want, culturally or if along with the anatomy or spookily, Mm -hmm. whatever their (laughs) jam is, they get to decorate it. But because they're writing the names of the bones on there, they're learning stuff. And then every time they put it to their face, they're seeing the names of those bones on their face. Uh, A brain hat, of course, just great. You You can't go wrong with that one. I make a zombie slime where we learn about decomposition and bacteria and maggots and worms and all the things that go into that. And I actually make it smell like mold and earth and worms and that kind of thing. We we talk about hematomas and bruises and why those colors happen on your skin, what color zombies would be, what they would smell like as they came out of the earth, all those kinds of things. Just making them think through that creative process of tell the story of a zombie, and it's all here in, in slime. Can I sign up for your <laughs> class? Cool. Yeah, absolutely. I've got a zombie class starting in January, actually. Oh, I do my believe. goodness. You can oh. sign up for, for it on the website. Too? Um, you know, I haven't been able to get a consistent number of people interested mm-hmm. at the same time from adults. It's been my primary hindrance to having a yep. regular adult class. We, we were talking about how, like, kids are always just up and game for art and for creativity. And there's no like second guessing themselves that whereas adults, there's always these like emotional barriers of like, people are going to judge me and what is art? And I'm not an artist and everything. So that kind of makes like clicks right in with what we were talking about, I think. And that's really tough. That's part of what we're trying to do with creative guts is to like, everyone's a creative, everyone can be an artist, a writer, a chef, a dancer, whatever, or a biomedical scientist. (laughs) Absolutely. You are the first on the show. (laughs) It's not surprising. (laughs) We're kind of rare. Yeah, after you saying your graduation rate, you know, not surprising at all, but (laughs) but super fascinating. That's so cool. Apparently, it's rare to find someone that likes science as much as they like art. Mm, Um, Yeah, because I think you would think they're the opposing parts of the brain. 
but they're not. Exactly, because there's creativity within science. All Absolutely. of our discoveries are from someone wondering what if and then doing something stupid and yep. learning. And <laughs> even in the, the like rote science of day to day, when you have a grad student who's tracking cell lines, you know, in a Petri dish, they're having to note texture and opacity changes, mm-hmm. color changes. All of those things are going to, you know, indicate whether their experiment is failing or succeeding mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. So if we're not teaching those skills to kids early, they're not going to know mm-hmm. that they can use them. Right. What ages are you largely working with? Like, who's your demographic? Yeah. So uh, with the Montessori schools, we start as young as 2.9 years old because mm-hmm. that's when they start them. So uh, we like to throw a lot of slimes at those kids because it's a lot of just stirring. And that's great for the hand development. You know, their bones aren't even fully formed yet. So if they can get exercises like learning to use scissors, their hands develop strongly. And then I'm working with elementary and middle school kids, some high school. Um, I'm obviously teaching college kids. And then I have adult classes as well. Mm. Cool. That's very cool. That is so neat. And so what are some observations from the different age groups as far as willingness to get dirty, willingness to learn? You know, are you noticing certain trends with different age groups within this realm? Um, I would say the distractibility really begins to kick in around middle school. <laughs> yeah. um, I, there are, I won't tell the stories, but there sometimes it's just the exact, I know that the processing just isn't there in their frontal lobe yet. And you just have to sit there and why did you do that? And I never think that for the preschoolers, even when it looks strange, it's like, oh yeah, you wanted to feel the paint on your hand. This makes sense. You're processing the world. Why did, yeah, no, it's the middle schoolers that make me say why way more. Um, I've heard terrible things about those middle schoolers. (laughs) Well, because their brains are there just enough that you think they're picking up what you're putting down. And then there's just this, and then you don't even want to smell the hormones. It, 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 it's intense. And I would say, I don't notice between the grades so much. By the time they're in middle or high school, if they're signing up for my class, they want to be there. Right. At the younger age, what I am seeing is, a, is we're noticing and I'm able to accommodate more things like sensory challenges on kids. Kids with sensory challenges often feel left out of the classroom, especially when there's hands-on components involved. Like they want to make the slime, but they don't want to touch it. Right. Mm. So I, I've tried very hard and I think I've done it to always include a way that they can make it, but never, ever touch it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like they just want to make the slime and have the slime and have gone through the same experience as their fellow classmates, but they don't want to ever touch it. <laughs> <laughs> And some of our stuff does smell oddly. I have two recipes for poop, um, <laughs> one of which comes from NASA. The other one's a little bit more my own creation. And they can smell a little weird. The NASA poop, as we call it, technical simulant, um, <laughs> is it, it uses yeast as its bacterial representation. Mm-hmm. So, cool. of course, it smells a little sourdoughy yeah. or beery. Um, and that can mess with kids. So we usually, for stuff that smells like that, we often have like a, an essential oil or something to drop <laughs> yeah. in there. Here's a little lemon. Doesn't that smell better? It, it convinces them it does, yeah. um, whether it does or not. So you're you're manufacturing poop? Uh, on a regular basis. And NASA has given you instructions on how to do this, or you've developed it yourself. Uh, it, was actually, it was actually an engineer for the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation that gave me the recipe, and he got it from NASA. Okay. Oh my gosh. Just so to NASA clarify. Has, I mean, obviously it makes sense they would have to do it for their experiments related right. to preparing for shooting people up into space, so that makes sense. Well, they didn't, though. Well, then That's why the problem. So the first... That this what do you mean? Is the, this is the problem. So the, the astronauts would literally tape a bag to their ass and shit in it. I in, can't wait to bleep this one. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how they would capture excrement. Except it didn't work. Oh, no. There are recordings of oh, no. astronauts spotting a zero-gravity bolus of digested food oh my wow oh my gosh and so they needed to invent a toilet (laughs) and you don't i mean so if you're developing a toilet for space you're gonna be dealing with suction somehow Mm -hmm. and let's face it suction can result in exploding and we don't want to test the real material in something that explodes right scientists they they tend to like to be clean yes um so they had to invent a toilet that helped suck 
the poop into a bag. Yep. Um, and so they needed a recipe. And it's really quite simple. You can even find it online. Um, it's it's not that hard. Uh, now, getting the ratios right and understanding how the recipe works takes some notes. Um, but, you know, it's it's stuff like nut flour for to substitute protein or, you know, soy flour or, or salt and yeast and Metamucil powder and that kind of <laughs> yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's not tasty. It's very salty, but it does look a lot like cookie dough. Oh but does gosh. it look like poop? Well, then you tell the kids they can dye it to the color okay. to match what their experience in the toilet has been. <laughs> I mean, not to be crude, but in my experience, poop is sort of variable. It's very variable depending on your diet and your yes. water intake and how you're feeling at that time. Yeah. And, and, and a sad poop versus a happy poop. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so we do. We let them color it. And, you know, we talk about the texture of our bowel movements. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we, we can also talk about, you know, if you have a looser bowel movement, you know, it can be called diarrhea, mm-hmm. right? And you, so we're going to add more water to the sample that you're creating. Um, and it also gives them words and vocabulary for them to go, Mom, Dad, my poop is dark, dark red. Yeah. yeah. And this isn't this probably the right thing that it should be let's talk about it yeah i should see a doctor right i need help or this you know it always hurts when i poop that also isn't normal and so when we give kids the the vocabulary they can Mm -hmm. take uh they can become autonomous in their medical decisions not only the vocabulary but the comfortable you know the familiarity and like the comfortableness of it like uh, there's a lot of things we don't talk about yeah. <laughs> that we could just probably be straightforward about. My my best friend growing up in, in middle school uh, ended up with a, a, well, she had nine surgeries and ultimately has been left with an ostomy mm-hmm. permanently. But the, the amount of time it took her to get a diagnosis and the, mm-hmm. the stigma around talking about it, mm-hmm. um, she struggled to tell me, she struggled to tell her mom. All of those things, if with a little bit of education, maybe, maybe could have gone a little smoother. Yeah. Yep. Yep. If you pick up on my puns. But, um, <laughs> I mean, this is why I love the show. We I never know. know what we're going to get with <laughs> fecal matter today. <laughs> we have talked about poop a little before yeah. on the show. That's not a first. Darcy Blake, pretty sure she said something either about. I think Connor Spurn said something about poop, too. Okay, see, so it's, you know, it's part of being a human. It is. It's very normal. I didn't know there was a recipe to make it for experiments and for education, and I think that's splendid. Yeah, (laughs) There, there is indeed a recipe. How do you know when your programming has been successful? When the kids are laughing. If they're laughing, they get it, and they're retaining the information. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, it's all about laughing. <laughs> and through that programming, are you having to deal with administration or parents that are like, we want deliverables, you know, in, in the way that you don't like with the traditional form of testing and results? And, yeah. you know, you're combating that, but are you having to kind of play along with that or deal with that when people are hiring your a little organization? Bit, a little bit. And I have been able to, t- you know, uh, with, with all my experiences teaching and I, I had a great uh, mentor of a of a professor type who really taught me how to take um, lessons and draw um, objectives and all the technical terms behind the actual teaching profession. And I can draw most of my lessons back to uh, New Hampshire State's learning objectives. Mm. Um, that's the boring stuff. And yeah. most people don't want that. Um, mm-hmm. They actually are just like, just keep the kids entertained. Yep. And you can tell too, because well, I don't want to talk bad about people, but not all of the after-school programming out there is wonderful. Mm-hmm. And yep. I want it elevated. Yeah. I, I want yeah. to expect more. And so, yes, sometimes we have challenges in those areas. But for the most part, because it's my own company and I'm a contractor, I can say I'm going to do whatever I want. Yeah. And then if I lose that client, then I lose that client. I'll gain three more who like what I'm doing yep. already and I don't need to change what I'm doing. And and I yeah, I've had that come to head a couple of times, but for the most part, it usually ends up on the positive. Mm-hmm. Right? That's wonderful. Right. Well, and it must be nice too that like you're not being held to like state mandated curriculum requirements because that's the beauty of being an after school program. Absolutely. And for me too, like it's the kids. It's I had this one kid um, who sat, it was very early in my programming and it was about the poop lesson. He's like, wait, you're in charge of this class, right? I was like, yeah. 
Okay, where is this going? Okay, I've got a smart one. (laughs) You're in charge. Yep. And you could teach us whatever you wanted. Yes. And you chose to teach us about poop. (laughs) Yes. That's why I love this class. (laughs) I'm like, all right, we can handle that one. Um, But yeah, I, I can teach them whatever I want. Sometimes the different programs say, hey, we want something that's going to take them outside or, hey, we want something that's going to talk about emotions or, hey, Mm. we want, you know, those kinds of things. And so, for example, what about emotions? Like what would be I'm just like so I could dive into this all day. Like what type of projects? Yeah, lessons work with the emotions. Yeah, I really like our naturalists series uh, for talking about emotions because there's a lot of research that says going outside. Taking a walk, picking up a leaf is going to do a lot of good for you. Touch some grass. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Touch something alive, yeah. smell the air. Um, and so that series does a lot of that. We're mm. collecting things from outside. We're also, um, I also have another series where we're combining other living organisms. But when we go outside and can take the outside into our art, that does a lot of good. And I also use stones and we, we, we paint on the stones and put reminders. And so we can do like forward thinking about what our goals are for the year. Let's one oh the, I, there was this one kid who just wanted to make the perfect green for the year and I was like what oh. a goal oh. and <laughs> I'm gonna help you yes all right here how, how here are all the yellows here are all the blues here are all the greens make the green you want right wow. let's put it on the rock and he was like it's close um so <laughs> I you know that's the joy right so I I guess I really tend to turn and look at the positives rather than the stresses Mm -hmm. yeah yeah because you gotta (laughs) you gotta yeah yeah Yeah. but uh for the most part i've been able to avoid bureaucracy that's fantastic that's really great i think i was thinking so biomedical i was thinking i was thinking it was all like biology anatomy like medical related sciences but sounds like you're doing a little bit of like earth science and like the other sciences too that's great yes uh i just finalized COVID slowed down my lesson writing because I couldn't go to my test school. But I I developed a physics series, actually, and I call it Beautiful Motion. And it's all (gasps) kinds of making things that either fly or move or create art through movement. So, um, yeah, I'm I'm trying to, my goal, it doesn't always happen. My goal is to write two new series a year Mm. um, because I've got over 200 lessons now. Um, that all have different themes to them. My gosh, I feel like this is, like, is this something that exists elsewhere? No. So you, this is incredibly unique and original. Yeah, when the state had to reach out to other people to bid on my contracts, I had to help them to find competitors. And the closest one that exists in Oregon, and they're <laughs> wow. not really doing what I'm doing. Wow. Is this the sort of thing that you could, I don't want to say franchise, but like level up and expand outwards to other nooks of the country or world is that something you're even interested in or yeah it is it is something I have looked into a Mm -hmm. little bit um there was there was a group that wanted to take us to all their summer camps they were looking to so they ran a summer camp here in New Hampshire with a college and they were looking to take the summer camps uh, around New England and they wanted us to go with them and grow the program with them and be national for that it COVID hit and things didn't happen but in terms of franchising, I, I struggle with that because I, I would have to let go a lot more than I'm comfortable at this point with letting <laughs> yeah. someone else have yeah. control over it. And, you know, right now I work really hard to keep like pseudoscience and those kinds of things out of the program. Yes. Because I am trying to go for clinically tested or proven, mm-hmm. gone through the scientific process science. And if I let someone else run with my brand, am I diluting it? Am I? I don't know. Um, there are a few interested parties were I to decide to do so. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they're, yeah, in, in, across the country. Fascinating. That yes. Is, I think I think it is such a enriching, heartwarming, wonderful, exciting thing that makes me want to be a kid all over again just to experience <laughs> it. So I, on that sense, would hope that for you. But I also understand the wanting to make sure that the integrity of it is maintained, which I also think is a wonderful thing. So that's a delicate balance. And I wish you luck with that. That's just such a cool thing. Either way, I think, you know, you don't hear many unique things anymore. So that's, (laughs) that's quite lovely. I, I have, I have, I mean, my day literally consists sometimes of just inventing a slime. Like, <laughs> only the people from Nickelodeon can really say that, right? <laughs> no, they can't, because there, there are ways to do it differently and to teach different <laughs> concepts. Like, yeah. yeah, okay, you have the basic formula, but what if you add 
something else. I mean, there's zombie slime. There's all these different <laughs> kinds. Yeah, yeah. I know. I I've, I've had a lot of conversations with uh, Demeter Fragrance Library, who's where I get a lot of my scents for my slimes. Yep. Um, and they tried to capitalize on on the fact that I was using them in slimes, and now they have a, a slime specific. Um, oh, cool. <laughs> a oh. line. Um, <laughs> but honestly, I would continue using the product I was already using from them because I like it better. <laughs> I think it adds to it. Um, and there aren't as many smells in the in the slime line. <laughs> now, I'm kind of bummed personally. This is the sort of thing that somebody should have told me about when I was in high school because like this really would have worked for me. Yeah. Well, we've only been around five years. Yeah. Right. Like, uh, I know. I like, yeah. We talked to the executive director of Arson Reach. Um, yeah. And again, we were like, I wish this was around when we were teenage girls. Like this would have been wonderful. And this is the exact same kind of program where I was okay with science, but I struggled a little bit more with science and math and stuff like that. And so, you know, this could have reached me in a different way. I really meant as a career. (laughs) Oh, I'm sorry. This would have been a great career for me. I didn't know that a biomedical artist was a thing. I could have gone to the Cleveland Institute of Art. Mm -hmm. It actually does feel fitting for you, Sarah. Right, does it? Because of the, yeah, it really does. Man, uh, you've (laughs) spoken before about the the sort of intersection of disability and art. Will you tell us just a little bit more about that? Yeah, so even in college, it, it, it started for me where I, we were trying to figure out why I had such heavy menstrual pain, quite extreme. I would pass out from it walking around. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. So in my senior thesis, that's the topic I explored was pain in menstrual cycles mm-hmm. and, and developed an educational module. It doesn't exist anymore, really, because it was flash um, to, to help girls explore how their bodies were hurting mm-hmm. and what was normal within a period. Um, it turns out I was experiencing other symptoms and I, I have documentation from some of my favorite classes where I'm literally falling asleep in class, but continuing to write notes. Um, they're beautifully dribbles of scribbles in wow. from beautiful penmanship to me actually falling asleep in class while I'm very actively engaged. Um, it took a few years, but we really did figure out that I have narcolepsy, very specifically idiopathic hypersomnia. Mm. And... Through time, I've also developed a physical disability um, where a surgery had to be performed on my foot and a a tendon turned to bone. Um, And I spent a year in a wheelchair. Uh, Well, not quite. I spent a year not walking, Mm -hmm. using a variety of different aids to get around town. So I've really rethought what the world looks like and what education looks like and what accessibility actually looks Mm -hmm. like. Yeah. I could go on for hours. <laughs> Actually, I just I, I went for drinks with some of the Library Foundation people um, last Thursday, and it sidewalks came up, and I couldn't stop talking about. It. I think I scared all the new members away because I was like, "Sidewalks, don't park on the sidewalks." Um, yeah, so it's a it's a focus for me in trying to make the world a little more accessible. Absolutely. And how are you connecting that with your art specifically, like the art you make or in the way that you teach just more advocacy for it? Or is there other elements of connecting those? One is approaching every individual as specifically and uniquely as possible. It sounds weird. It sounds hard. It is hard. But just really trying hard to overcome our biases that immediately impact us upon being introduced to someone. That's a personal thing that I'm constantly trying to do myself and hoping I'm teaching the kids to do Mm -hmm. as well. Um, Sometimes just being a person with the cane in the room is the work I'm doing because it takes a lot. But including kids with various learning or sensory challenges. And, And it's not just about making sure a kid in a wheelchair can get in the class. It's do I have two people in the classroom at all times so that if there is a breakdown because something somebody goes into mm-hmm. sensory overload, right. we can listen to them and make them feel heard and see if we can bring them back into the, the activity so they mm-hmm. feel like they're participating in the world. And then in my own art, I'm starting to, so I've never really been much of a gallery artist, mm-hmm. um, but I'm starting to do that a little bit and kind of pointing to some of those things. So I've done a series of paintings um, that were completed as part of my physical therapy. Now, you might think, you know, occupational therapy where you're relearning to use the hands and that kind of thing. But what I had to, you know, only walk for 10 minutes. Where do you go for 10 minutes? Right. <laughs> and it was COVID, too, as I relearned to walk. So I, I couldn't go to the gym. I'm compromised. I'm missing a kidney. I have a bunch of other stuff that makes me a little more likely to get super sick. So I had to walk outside. I'm disabled. What, what do you do when you can only walk 10 minutes? So I'm going to walk five minutes. It, 
it was so boring. So I started walking 10 minutes and then sitting down wherever I was and painting what I saw. Mm. And I just kept doing that. And then it eventually developed, oh my gosh, I need that for my bike. I'm so sorry. (laughs) So I I, I, related to that, I do ride a recumbent um, because of nerve damage. Yes. um, And I like to light it up. That was lovely. Sorry. Um, (laughs) Some really uh, nifty wheels just passed by Art of Front Street, folks. (laughs) And I revealed that I am just like my students. Um, (laughs) Aren't we all? I mean, we see something beautiful and we just got to... Color, pretty, shiny, (laughs) glitter. Yeah. um, I was going somewhere. (laughs) Um... Yeah, so so opening so I'm starting to to point to that I have all these paintings. I've done a bunch of them. They're not there yet. Like they're pretty paintings whatever, but they don't say anything yet. And so that's the part I'm working on mm-hmm. is how do I frame this so that people understand what the hindrances to creating this piece were? And a lot of times it was other people. The number of times I'd walk into a room and they'd be like, "Oh, you still have that cane." And I just wanted to be like <laughs> Yes, I'm going to have the cane for the rest of my life. Why do you keep bringing it up? And why is it the first thing you see about me? Yeah. Um, right now, I don't have one. I don't need one right this second. I'm in a good spot. Um, but like, the yeah, people people can be really hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that that was a hard part. Or like standing in a gallery is one of the hardest things I do. And if you sit down, people talk over you. Mm. That even your close friends, they just it, it something about just lowering your level to that, and they just they don't even hear you. So like. If you sit down, you lose out on the creative discourse. If you stand up, you hurt and need to sit or not walk or not wow, exercise for the rest of the week. That is a right. fascinating concept to explore. Yeah. Gosh, it really makes you think. Yeah. So there's a lot of things like that. Like coming into businesses in Manchester, the number of times in my motorized wheelchair, I would try to, I wanted to talk to this gallery owner and be like, hey, I've got these kids. They make art. I was wondering if you'd be interested in showing it, you know, and but I couldn't get in the door. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like the door was too heavy. I was in the wheelchair. I could, it was narrow. I couldn't, I, I couldn't literally get in the door. And then she yeah. looked at me like, you don't really have that. And I'm like, okay, I'm just in a freaking wheelchair. I actually have eight employees and I'm just trying to do something right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Talking is something I can do right now. Yep. Yeah. So it, I definitely have a lot of like hangups about it. You mm-hmm. can feel the emotion and charge in my voice. I, I, so it's something I can't just let go. Um, so I do things like, like join the um, highway commission mm. so that I can advocate for sidewalks and bike lanes. Those things help me get around more. Um, with the narcolepsy, I have to exercise a lot to stay awake. Mm-hmm. So if I can bike to where I'm going, I am far more engaged and far more awake and a better person um, because I'm not falling asleep. Right. So bike lanes are a really good thing, not just for bicyclists. Like, yeah, inherently I'm riding a bike. I'm a cyclist, but I'm also a disabled person. So having that around and then I get to help like kids on the bike bus. I don't know if you guys have heard about this the bike bus in Manchester. Yeah, yeah, it's really awesome. I've gotten to participate in that. Oh, neat. Um, and and there I'm riding on a weird bike. Right. So I'm on a recumbent. My feet are up because of the nerve damage I have for pedendal neuralgia. Um, and the kids see me. And on top of that, I'm a girl on a cool bike. Yeah. And it, that, for some reason, that's unusual. And you're about to get some cool lights for your wheels. <laughs> yeah, I've been doing some straight strips. i got to figure out how to get them actually on the wheels. Um, spinning. Oh, my gosh. Ideas. Well, yeah. it's, it's all really interesting. I f- I'm sort of personally on this journey of like trying to be more cognizant of biases and varying abilities and like being sensitive to those things. And I find that it's one of those things that once you open that sort of can and you start to try to be more cognizant of it, you kind of like start to realize how little you know and how little you were sort of aware of before. And like things continue to like reveal themselves. And I'm like, I've never thought of that before because it's hard to think about things that are outside of sort of your own perspective. So it's it's really interesting. That's yeah. why it's really nice to talk to other folks. And the yes. podcast gives yes. us an, a great excuse to do that. It yeah. absolutely is. Yeah, having that diversity of perspectives is incredibly, mm-hmm. like, revealing. Yeah, and, and it times nicely, too, because I'm actually the cover story on Stepping Stones magazine right now, which <gasps> is... Congratulations! It's, it's, a, it's a yearly publication put out um, by the state of New Hampshire about disabilities in New Hampshire. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I wrote the cover story for that, and it's my big mug in bright orange as well 
um, on the on the cover of that. <laughs> is orange like your signature? Oh. No, it I used to think it was purple, be... but it just right now I'm really into orange. I, I used to think it was purple. Phase. I'm in an orange phase. People will document it. It'll I be love fine. That. Um, it's so fantastic. That's something actually he has mentioned, and I was like, oh, that sounds really cool. Yeah. Yeah. There's all kind. I could go for hours about I, the disability too. thing. Yeah, <laughs> because I, there's it's there's so much intersectionality. Yes, mm-hmm. when it comes to that. Um, yeah. Yeah. When I was in college, I went to UNH, and UNH was weird about opening after snow days, but not clearing all the snow. <laughs> so like we would have classes fine, but if they didn't clear all the snow, can they? And so I went to um, when I was in my undergrad, I went to school with uh, a woman who was uh, blind. She had some some vision impairment, and like. Her, I always was like, I don't understand why we're in school when like the sidewalks are disgusting and like, I'm like, you know, my shoes are wet or whatever. But like, like, how can you open up the school when you have somebody who has vision impairment and like they can't get to classes because of the sidewalks are covered in? Absolutely. And there's, there's a book called Invisible Women. And it points out that clearing the roads before clearing the sidewalks is actually a sexist policy. (gasps) Wow. <laughs> because women are more likely to be walking or, or, or to, right. to work because yep. men usually, depending depending on socioeconomic status and that kind of mm-hmm. thing, but it's more likely that the male partner is driving mm-hmm. and the female partner is walking or um, pushing a stroller, therefore yep. needing sidewalk cuts and cleared sidewalks yep. and yeah, it is about deprioritizing yes. cars and prioritizing pedestrians. And yeah, so it's a great book, yeah. <laughs> Invisible Women, not thinking that of sidewalk clearing and the order in which it's done. Who yeah. are also more invisible to a driver, especially if they have to go into the road and are more likely to be hurt, mm. be hit, be killed. And more likely to suffer from disabilities. Yes. Oh, I just put it on my wish list. (laughs) Really great listen. Very, very interesting. Well, we could talk to you for about 17,000 hours, probably. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, Have to go to rapid fire, unfortunately. But we will have you back in about a year, probably. Okay. This is just fascinating. And it's just amazing. This has been an absolute pleasure to learn all of this stuff. I'm having fun, too. Good. That's an R, a big aim of ours as well, <laughs> to not be boring. That's um, also how we measure success is laughter. laughter. Yes, <laughs> yes, true. Yep. So Podcasting and education measured success. In, in, <laughs> I'm trying to think of a scientific way to describe laughter. It didn't come. Uh, rapid fire questions, just like how it sounds. We ask quick questions with hopefully quick answers. What other artist has influenced you the most? Right now it's Yaz. I'm learning a lot about friendship and art. Yeah. That's wonderful. That's so sweet. (laughs) Sappy. Really sappy. What's the weirdest thing you've touched? This is called a pregnant pause, everybody. (laughs) My own bone. Neat. Uh, <laughs> while it was inside of no. you? Okay. I no. just... it's, it actually, everyone can go look at it. I guess you could touch it, but please don't. It's on display right now at Mosaic Art Collective in a piece. Oh! Oh my gosh. We probably... Oh! <laughs> oh! In the foot by foot show! Yes. Yeah! My Whoa. foot is in the foot Wait by foot second. show. Those are real bones? One of them is. Oh my god! Oh. It's decaying in the gallery. I didn't touch it. I did see it, but I didn't touch it. I swear. One of them is a real bone. <laughs> oh my gosh! Human. <laughs> I went to the opening of that show. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, if you're writing a goal on a rock for 2023, what are you writing? Trying to be concise. <laughs> Depends how big the rock is and how much space you have. I guess. Right. <laughs> really big rock big rock um i want to be to the point that a doctor can give me the go-ahead that i could try to lightly run by thanksgiving of next year oh yeah maybe you know run in a non-life-threatening situation right there you go that's that's the quick answer i'd like to be able to run in a non-life-threatening situation (laughs) that's a great goal i think that'd fit on most rocks you're good You don't need Mount Washington for that. No. (laughs) What is your favorite color? Mustard yellow. What's your favorite scent? 
I feel like my garden. Oh, that's a good one. That's a nice one. Yeah. Let's say I feel like there's a lot of like weird possibilities. This yeah. could go. <laughs> my garden. Yeah. This one fake poop that I made. <laughs> that, it might have been saliva slime, but um, <laughs> no, it's, it's my garden. Yeah. Uh, what is your favorite sound? This one's my grandma's voice. Oh. And you're shooting us in the heart all night long. That's like <laughs> so darling. She she passed on Halloween, so I'm Aww. feeling that one a lot right now. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. What's your favorite texture to touch? Silicone. Ooh, interesting. That's another first. I don't think anyone has said that yet, right? Mm-mm, I don't think so. Most inspiring location you've traveled to? There's a shack in Belize where you can see the ocean from both sides. Ooh, cool. Oh, that sounds very beautiful. (laughs) It was a shack. (laughs) I stayed there. I slept there. There was running water. There was no hot water. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, No pressure, but I feel like I really love this next question for you specifically. Uh Uh-oh. What is the last new thing you've learned? I was listening to a podcast on the way over here called Skeptic's Guide to the Universe. It's a bunch of scientists getting together talking about various things. And some people are developing a pseudoscientific therapy based on epigenetics. Oh, boy. Yeah. (laughs) And just in case there happens to be a few listeners who don't know what that big word is that you just said, what is Which one? (laughs) Epigenetics? Yes. (laughs) Um, So there is some indication in scientific study that says some information may be passed through generations in genetic code. It's most reflected in plants, but there are some studies that are showing when, I think, uh, check my science on this one, do a fact check on this one, Um, but that when the great-grandfather experienced a starvation event um the grandchild lived longer so and it was statistically unlikely i'm trying to think of how to say this it was repeatable and it was Mm. documentable through church documents for the um i think it was the irish potato famine okay so there is information related to survival that is being transferred somehow between generations. Now, whether we can use that for therapy is not hmm. studied. Hmm. Interesting. So that's what that's I learned. Fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> Most people are like, oh, that I could bend my arm this way or, you know, like some, some like, you know. <laughs> no, it was on the way over here listening to other scientists talk. All right. Clincher question. If you could go back in time, what advice would you give your younger self? Don't run the triathlon (laughs) and get better inserts for your shoes. Yep. Feet are super important. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It would save a year of sitting on my butt. (laughs) Yep. It'd be great. (laughs) Thank you so much. That was a really, really great conversation. Thanks. I'm glad. (laughs) Yes. Very unique to Creative Guts and I think going to be fascinating for all of our listeners to hear. Yeah. Then they can always reach out to me too if they have questions or or that kind of thing too. Um, Can't promise like that if you give me a deep scientific question that I'll give you the answer, Mm. Um, but I might be able to give you places to look for the answer. but you can find me on Uncharted Tutoring on Instagram, on Facebook, and you can also find like my art artwork with BioSci Creative on both of those mm. platforms. I'm also on TikTok. I've gone like regionally viral with some cyanotype hair prints. Mm, very cool. <laughs> when I give the camera to the kids, it does better. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's what I'm learning. Here, you film this, Savannah. It does so much better. Okay, we don't like steady views. We don't, okay, I don't understand this. Just let the kids do it. They're they're the pros here. Um, and, and I have been known to stream on, on Twitch uh, okay. from very time cool. to time. Nice. Making stuff. So Cool. We're going to put all your links in the description of cool. the episode and on our website. So yeah, absolutely. So they, they can, people can reach out to me and find out about classes or look at my website for classes or ask a weird question. Or maybe I got something wrong. It's entirely possible. And if I did, I want to know. So tell me. Awesome. That's yeah. cool. That's yeah. very cool. Because <laughs> I'm always learning. That is awesome. Thank you again for being on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you. Thank you for having me. And with that, show show us your creative guts. Another big thank you to Amber Nicole Cannon for joining us on Creative Guts. 
Given Amber Nichols' background, I was really looking forward to this episode and getting an opportunity to talk about the intersection of science, art, and disability. I have a science background myself and some health-related issues, so this conversation was personally inspiring to me. Like I said during the episode, I regret that I didn't know biomedical art was a thing when I was exploring career possibilities. Amber Nicole is so dang cool. I'm in awe of all that she has done and how she has enriched the lives of so many with a very unique program. I appreciate her perspective on the world and how she uses her voice to advocate for the needs of all people. Advocacy takes a lot of time and hard work, so it's even extra special that she does this while balancing a growing business and a personal art practice. Major kudos. No matter who you are, you got to go check out Amber Nicole on the web. You can find her business website, unchartered.org, and you can follow her on social media where her handle is Uncharted Tutoring on Instagram and TikTok, and also on Instagram, where her handle is BioSci Creative. As always, you can find those links and more in the episode description on our website, creativegutspodcast.com. You will find us on Facebook and Instagram at Creative Guts Podcast. This episode is sponsored in part by the Rochester Museum of Fine Arts. Thank you to our friends in Rochester for their support of the show. And a big thank you to Art Up Front Street for providing a space where Creative Guts can record. If you love listening and want to support the show, you can make a donation to Creative Guts. Leave a review wherever reviewing is applicable. Interact with our content on social media. Whatever you are able to do, we appreciate you. Thank you for tuning in. We'll be back next Wednesday with another episode of Creative Guts. Color. Mustard yellow. Love it. We usually both are wearing it. We've, we've come to the show. And we're both wearing yellow sweaters. I don't wear my mustard yellow cardigan to Creative Guts anymore. I don't mm-hmm. either because of you. Yeah. We just matched <laughs> I like know. three too many times. It started both to get weird. Like, chunky neutral sweaters. Yeah, so it's whatever. <laughs> Thank you again for being on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you. You could say. Oh, thank thank you for having me. Sorry, I was like, I thought we were going to do the one, two, three. I was like, I'm like watching your eyes. I'm like, there's gonna be a squint. I'm gonna get ready. I was like, so focused. It was just people usually like, oh yeah, thanks for having me. We have guts. Perfect. Yay! Okay. That was great. <laughs> Sorry, that was so awkward at the end. <laughs> I was like so ready for the like that was all that was in my brain. It was a lot of focus. Like, yeah. Wait, this was unexpected. <laughs> what do I do? What do I do? Manners. Manners is what you do. Where her? Oh God. <laughs> See, I don't want to write it all out, but then I do shit like this. You. Thank you for tuning in. We'll be back next Wednesday. <laughs> Wait, stop. I thought you were going to say something else. Thank you for tuning in. (laughs) Oh, man. Sorry. Can you say it again?